Dear listener, please note that this podcast is recorded during COVID-19 where we can't get into the studio and give you the quality that you are accustomed to. For any changes in quality, we ask for your apology. Hello and welcome to What's Love, the podcast. This is a podcast series brought to you by Zanga Zurugel and in collaboration with the Soul City Institute for Social Justice. Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of What's Love, the podcast. I hope that you are all doing well and keeping safe. Well, today is a different episode. We are taking time out from our usual topics on money, love, finance, and the law. And we are discussing a very important topic, mental health and well-being. Although this is an important aspect of self-love and self-care, it is often misunderstood and very neglected. So why shine the spotlight on it today? Well, we are living in unprecedented times. We are facing a pandemic that has altered our lives in ways we, we could not have imagined eight months ago. Some of our loved ones have contracted COVID, but even those who did not, we are all locked away in our homes, unable to visit family or just socialize and go about our lives as we know it. For those who have lost loved ones, we also cannot follow the rituals that bring us comfort. But for some, we have lost our jobs and we actually do not know when we will put all of this behind us, if at all. Personally, I'm zoomed out and teamed out and oh, if I have to see another scream, I'm telling you, I don't know. But I also recognize my privilege. I recognize that I have a house, I have a job, I have food. But hey, as young people say, I fail to can. I am going, man. I miss my friends. I miss my life. And as my daughter say, we are living our lives in high definition. Everything is heightened. You, you feel everything so deeply. So it is not surprising that we are just buckling down during this period. So today we thought, let us discuss this important subject and bear our own souls and our own experiences with mental health. Like always, I am not alone. Diniko Mpenze is here, my legal eagle, and she will also bear her soul about her own mental well-being. I also have a special guest, my sister, Neora Mafuku, who will also share her mental well-being story with us and tell us about the organization that she founded, Safe Space Inc. Stephanie Groucher, Stephanie will tell me if I'm saying this uh, last name incorrectly. Stephanie, if I am not, you are going to tell me, uh, is also here with us. She holds a Bachelor of Accounting Sciences and Law degree from the Stellenbosch University and works in property management and also handles accounting for small businesses. She says she's interested in understanding um, workings of the world on a macro level Hence, she decided to further her studies in political science and economics. We are also joined by Dr. Palisa Mashangu, 
who is a doctor of psychology. And today she will be sitting in the expert seat, sharing her expertise with us about this very important subject. Welcome everyone. And let me start with uh, Dr. Masangu. Just from a definition point of view, Dr. Masangu, what is mental well-being and what is mental health? What are we talking about? When we talk of mental health, we're talking about your ability to function in a satisfactory level, be it emotionally or behaviorally. I would like to go on a bit of a tangent in terms of uh, uh, emphasizing how important mental health is to say that as women, we do go to a gynecologist once a year. Men hopefully go to a urologist. We all have our physical checkup once a year. However, we never take the moment to take care of our mental health. We never go and check in. So mental health, we think all the time, we go through stressors, things that we are aware or not aware of that cause wear and tear of our mental situations. Hence, I was talking about mental health, about the, the ability to function in a level manner or in a balanced manner. Okay, so, so my understanding is that you are saying, you know, all of us are going to face life stresses, but you are saying our ability to cope with life stresses is what our mental health does. It's how yeah. you are able to function with life and everything it throws at you because this life has a tendency yes. of throwing things at people. Okay, now let's talk about mental health and the different types of mental health issues that one may experience. Okay. Um, they're not the same. And the causal factors are not the same. Some are similar in terms of causal factors, but in presentation, they may not necessarily be similar. I would like to mention a mm -hmm. few, and maybe with the questions, then I could go on to others. Mm. But for example, stress. Mm. Uh, at this point, we're experiencing high levels of stress. Um, because mm. economically people, because of the uh, COVID, are not working. The financial stresses, the social stresses that people are, not, are in isolation. Uh, there are also occupational stresses. People are losing their jobs with retrenchments. So those are types of things that we're exposed mm. to in terms of mental health. We talk about the word stress loosely, and if I may define it in a loose way, stress is a normal wear and tear of the body, just like wear and tear of the car. However, if mm. you live under high levels of stress for over six months, then you go into what we call acute stress. Acute stress then deems you mm -hmm. uh, non-productive. You stress is what, when you are stressed, you have to, to, to have a, a, a report due tomorrow and you burn the midnight oil, you go into you stress and that makes you productive. However, you cannot live on new stress for over six months. For some people, yes, they may be a little resistant, but we normally say six months or more, then you begin to see the effects. And new stress then causes acute stress. Acute stress, if I was just to go 
through the body parts from head to toe, your head, you start having hair falling off physically. It affects you physically. So you have your hair falling off. Facially, people start having black patches. There would be done the Chubaba in my language. And, you know, people start having shingles or uh, acne. Um, by the way, stress does lower your immune system. Um, heartburn, um, diarrhea, things like that, constipation, uh, ulcers. For women, as we celebrate our womanhood every month, the, the, the cycle gets disturbed. It goes most, most often than it should or it stops completely. For men, uh, they start having sexual dysfunctions like premature ejaculation, um, erectile dysfunction, or impotency. Those who have chronic illnesses like diabetes um, start, uh, I'll use diabetes as an example, they, they, those, that illness start not being uh, manageable. We know that it's not curable, but it is manageable, whether it's diabetes or hypertension, even HIV. Um, so those is, I'm just going through, because I'm not sure how much time I have. Quite, it's quite a lengthy thing, so I'm just, yes, I'm just going through a few. That's quite a lot, yeah. But but I'm happy you started. I'm happy you started with stress because I know how many times I have just been talking to people and it's like you can all stressy, you know. And I'm very happy that you mentioned some of the uh, symptoms of stress, and and I'm sure as you say there's many other mental conditions that we can um, you know define. You dealt with stress. Now the other one that people talk about very casually is depression. What is it exactly? And what are the symptoms? Okay, Lebo, can I just take a minute to go back to stress and then come into depression? Yeah. That uh, stress, mm -hmm. I had only mentioned the physical symptoms of stress, how it affects you physically. Mentally, it affects you in this way. You can have anxieties. One of the most common anxieties is panic attacks. Panic attacks is where people almost like they asphyxiate, they can't breathe, uh, they're thinking about dying, um, they have the palpitations, and they end up a casualty most of the time. Yes. And then another wow. form of anxiety that a lot of people go through because of stress is social phobia, where they start withdrawing from people. Uh, that they're afraid of people, um, or claustrophobia where they have challenges with space. That can also be caused by stress. I, I didn't talk about the causal factors of stress. That's another subject, but I just wanted to mention, because now I'm saying it can be caused by stress, that there are different, that's the, the, the different types of stress uh, that can cause this type of mental illnesses. And then we have uh, obsessive compulsive behaviors as well can be caused by stress. Depression, now we are coming to depression. Uh, depression can be caused by mm. stress. Stress can cause reactive depression, but severe stress can mm -hmm. also cause clinical depression. The difference between clinical depression and um, mm -hmm. reactive depression, the symptoms are mostly similar but the intensity thereof and the duration thereof. Most times when we have reactive stress, we maybe mm. two weeks, and what we call reactive stress is what we could call the blues or be sadness. Yes. But then clinical depression is mm -hmm. more intense and there are different types of clinical depression. Now, can I, I'll just quickly mention a few symptoms of depression. If you are feeling low, okay. 
for over 24 hours. That's an indication. But not in, in isolation. Mm -hmm. If you show four or more of the symptoms that I will talk about, then you need to consult. So you would have a low affect. Mm. Uh, hygiene can be a problem. When people are down, hygiene becomes a, a, a difficulty to keep up with. Color scheme, tend mm -hmm. when people are depressed, they tend to wear very dark colors or dark colors that don't even mm -hmm. coordinate. And I'm not talking about people who like wearing blacks and grays and stuff. They carry those colors. But if you are wearing, your shoulders are down and all of that, you are not carrying the color, that may be an indication. People mm -hmm. tend to be withdrawn, sit by in isolation. When they're alone, mm -hmm. they tend to sit in dark spaces mostly. They can close curtains or blinds and prefer a darker spaces. A loss of interest in activities. Uh, extreme tends to be extremely fatigued for most times. Appetite, eating patterns, let me say, can be challenged as well. People, people also sleeping patterns, either they can be hypersomnic or insomnic. But most times when people are depressed, they tend to be uh, hypersomnic. This, that meaning they tend to sleep a lot. The symptoms that you shared are just hopefully going to help some of us observe in our own homes you know if we've got children some of the of the symptoms that we see amongst loved ones that we maybe overlook and say hey this child is lazy which is my favorite one why don't they want to wake up they are lazy they sleep yes. throughout and maybe you are missing yes. a depression and so there's a, a, a one other symptom that maybe later we can talk about which is post-traumatic stress because right now we are going through a traumatic uh, era, and I think it would be important to also talk about that. Great, thank you so much, and and I will pick up on it because yeah, COVID has has brought, and I think violence in South Africa brings with it so much that we not yes. not talk about. Thank you, Valisa. I, I want to bring you in, Neo. Um, you've started an organization called Safe Space, and for audiences that are listening to us, Neo is my blood sister. Uh, I'm the older one and she's the second one. Uh, so tell us a little bit about why you started it and what is Safe Space Inc.? What does it do? Yes, I started Safe Space Inc. two years ago after the demise of Jabula Nizambo, who was popularly known by his stage name WHP. We, uh, most of us know that he succumbed to depression. It is actually a mental health awareness initiative because it had been a passion of mine for very long, even before the demise yes. of WHP, to actually create awareness around mental health problems, to destigmatize mental illness so that people can know what mental illness is, and for sufferers to actually not be afraid and come out. Being a person who is living with a mental illness myself, diagnosed a few years ago, with bipolar mood disorder, it was kind of a natural thing to do, so to speak, because I wanted, I had always felt uh, discriminated against, whether it was valid or not, I'm not sure. But because of the stigma attached to mental illness, um, I had also, I had always felt ostracized. And, and I just wanted to create a platform to be a voice for people living with mental health problems to say you can't get help, your mental health problem does not define who you are, you are still gifted and you can still 
be and achieve whatever you want to achieve. So I created that kind of a community. That is why I say it's a safe space. It's a safe space where you can speak to somebody who is living what you are always also going through, I beg your pardon. And yeah, right. that's how it started. Thank you so much, um, um, Neo. I mean, I think that's another perspective of the support that people with mental health um, themselves need to create. And as you rightfully say, and as, a, as, 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 as your sister and somebody who then has been exposed uh, just that closely to somebody with a mental health condition, it is very hard to understand what it is. Um, it is very hard to, to know what to do, you know. Um, and, and, and I'm very proud of you for starting this initiative. Um, today, my legal eagle, uh, Tineko, uh, plays a different role. Um, we have been working together. We've been producing this podcast uh, uh, just after a few episodes. Uh, some of you who have listened to it before will know that we told you that we are recording it under very difficult circumstances. And um, Tineko also had to go and seek attention for her own mental well-being. Tiniko, just tell us a little bit about that experience and why it is important to seek care when you need it. Hi, Nebu. Um, it's 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 very it feels very weird sitting on a different side of the of the panel today, um, giving the reins to Dr. Matlangu, who's um, helping us in this conversation on mental health and taking care of your mental health. Um, yeah, so definitely, I did have to take um, a break um, during COVID to to take care of my of my well being. Um, you know, because the stresses, um, if, if, if I'm to refer back to what was already said, the stresses of life, um, especially under COVID, were, were getting a little bit too much. Um, I, when, when, I, when I first went to go see a psychiatrist, I definitely thought I'd come out with just general anxiety disorder, <laughs> maybe ADHD, because I am a hyperactive human. Um, but I came out with, with some like different diagnosis and a whole basket I wasn't ready for. Um, even as someone who at least, you know, comes from um, a family that is more aware of, of mental health issues um, and, and, and tends to kind of deal with them directly and doesn't say, you know, some people will tell you, you know, um, they, their families have said to them, well, you, you just need to pray and you'll get better, you know. So I, I didn't come from um, that kind of situation, luckily, you know. It was a situation where it was kind of like understanding. Um, but it is true that if you're not actually dealing with it, that understanding is only just that it's understanding you know it doesn't go as far as to seeing that at this particular moment this is why a person is reacting like this to certain things you know so i definitely was going to have to take a break from life um just for a little bit um some point this year because um so i have bipolar like you like like neo here um, and I had quite a long manic um, period from late last year to um, early this year. So, um, you know, the down 
was was inevitable essentially um and it would have to be dealt with so so i was expecting um that but i wasn't expecting the severity of what it was you know um so it was it it was a little bit rough um for myself and um for everyone else around me you know to kind of deal with it especially because um you know my depression doesn't present um like typical like the typical depression of 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 most people you know i barely sleep um i don't have an appetite but i can also experience moments of happiness you know so it's it's a little bit weird to fully identify that this person has definitely isolated you know so i will say no i don't want to do this but you know if you insist long enough i'll go and participate and i'll participate happily um as long as we definitely do what you said we're going to do should we not do what you said we're going to do that's a whole other conversation but yeah so um i i had to go and take a break um and you know take care of myself um outside take care of my mental health you know outside of like the world's stresses around me and even in that process you know because of corona even in there even inside you know we still had to adhere to like corona um regulations and things like that so that too you know as much as you're like in a mini bubble and a safe space you still sometimes get that anxiety of corona you know it does um sit through um but yeah my advice would always be you know to take to 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 take note of any slight changes i want to introduce somebody else uh, stephanie who i introduced um elia stephanie you are also uh, 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 living with a, a mental um uh, health condition which when i read about it i was like hmm i wasn't sure that this is a mental health condition explain it to us and just tell us also you know about what it is and 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 what brings it about for you um well firstly hello everybody and i hope that you are well i have an eating disorder i developed bulimia nervosa at the age of 12 and that progressed well into my teens and then also late into my 20s um and the difficulty with it is that i felt very ashamed to open up to anybody about it I think after 2 years of having an eating disorder I realized that I was addicted and that it was not something that I could break myself but I was very ashamed to talk about it and open up about it and seek help for it because it's not something that is very well understood um also physically people couldn't see that I was sick because with bulimia nervosa very often people have normal body weights and so we sort of don't elicit the same i guess sympathy uh, and attention that people with anorexia um receive and can i i want to come back a little bit stephanie yeah. i want to come back a little bit because we may assume people understand what is bulimia and maybe if you can explain to us what it is what it, um, um yeah good. Of course um yeah so bulimia nervosa is pretty much a disease of of binging and purging so it's sort of binge eating a lot of food in a short period of time and then purging afterwards essentially sort of throwing up the food afterwards 
Um, okay. So eat, I think eat, that that's it. You and eat, 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 and out to vomit. And yes, that exactly. is... Okay. And you say yes. it started when you were 12, which is a very young age. Um, yeah, I think a lot of eating disorders are actually considered childhood diseases. Um, so it's, it typically develops with people quite quite young, from what I understand. Um, and I mean, it's something that you're able to live with for, for a very long time, I think, without having to really get treated for, because it is a coping mechanism. I think that's a lot of, it's something that people very much misunderstand about it. It is a coping mechanism. The only problem with it is that it's a very unhealthy coping mechanism. And long term, it's not a strategy that really benefits you or helps you. Um, so with me, what happened is that in my 20s, that's when things sort of started falling apart a bit. I developed other health conditions. Um, so I developed thyroid disease. And also a lot of my relationships sort of broke down. I wasn't able to really hold relationships. And at that point, I realized I actually had to seek help because this wasn't something that was isolated in one area of my life. It was something that spir was spiraling into other areas of my life and was essentially making me quite dysfunctional in my day-to-day -day activities. And so in, in 2015, I essentially went to, to rehab for three weeks. Um, I'd also gone and, and sought psychological help beforehand but um, concluded that rehab would probably be the best situation for me. And I think one of the big issues is that eating disorders are often misconceptualized as a product of vanity, when I think a better way to maybe think about it is that it's, it's a form of addiction, or at least binging and purging is very much a form of addiction. It could be easily replaced with, I think, alcohol or drugs or anything like that. So it's wow, just, yeah. it's a coping mechanism. And in order to, yes. to break that, you, you basically have to find a more constructive coping me mechanism, but also find the, the causes of that, which with eating disorders are often childhood trauma. Um, for me, essentially, I was a very bad communicator. So I channeled my mm -hmm. emotions into the eating disorder rather than sitting down, identifying what I was feeling and communicating that with other people. So I actually realized that I was exceptionally bad at even just identifying the emotions that I was feeling, never mind communicating those. And so um, through seeing psychologists and going to rehab, I learned to identify emotions, sit with them rather than run to my coping mechanism and just binge and purge them out. Because in purging, it's almost a physical way of getting rid of those emotions rather than dealing with them. Wow. I'm finding this fascinating. This is this is like an education to me because I can now see the relation. It first starts with this unsettling emotion and rather than yes. recognize it, deal with it, talk about it, go for a run, you go for food. And because... Yes, and, and then purchase that. Yeah, because we also have an environment, and I want to talk about it a little bit later when I bring back Dr. Matlangu. There are so many environments that either support people or make their circumstances work. I think, as you said, a disease of vanity, the diet industry that almost everybody in the world is a part of, um, and that has really taught us to hate our bodies 
When we see you eat, we don't know what is going on inside of you. When we see you drink, we don't know what is going on inside of you, you know, because it's so normalized. And then you go in secret and then you vomit it out. And I can imagine the physical symptoms that uh, we are, um, you know, we, we, are, we are coming with. I, 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 I want you to hold it there because I want us later to come back to how each and every one of you copes with your, um, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, a uh, uh, mental health condition. Uh, but I want to bring in um, um, Sispalesa here, particularly about what what sparked this interest is what you are saying, Stephanie, about children, children presenting with, uh, you know, um, the condition um, bulimia that you you you've got. But I'm sure there are children who are presenting with uh, even bipolar and other ones. How easy or difficult is it for us to recognize these conditions in children, particularly because we come from cultures where children must be seen and not heard? Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. I think I, I was, even when I was a, a school child, when, when I look, at, look back at my my. my my growing up, I, I wasn't, and, and, and I'm so hesitant to use the word normal because then the opposite of it is not normal, you know what I mean? But I will use it now for purpose of this discussion. I was not normal. I was always miserable. I was always pessimistic. I was, I would cry for nothing. I would, no, no, definitely. Mine was from a very, I mean, I look at my pictures as a child right now. And I can tell you the emotion on that picture that I was not happy. I was in pain, but I don't know what pain. Nothing had happened. I was living in a beautiful home, warm, loving home, but it, it was just not right. There was just something that was missing. And I think it started off at depression and it just progressed because we, we didn't know what was happening because, you know, that chemical imbalance in the brain just progressed. But it definitely came from from childhood. That that I agree with. Yeah, I'd like to jump in mm. on just saying, you know, with childhood conditions, it's it really is societal based, you know. Um, so it's very easy. Um, I'm gonna go back to what Noah had said. You know, if you're if you're from the township and stuff like that, it's very easy for a child who has um, ADD, um, to not have the care that they need, you know, um, and just be seen as a child who can't focus on anything, um, because of whatever reasons it is that they'll create or a hyperactive child, um, being seen as a problematic child instead of, um, seeing this as a sign that maybe there might be something that we need to deal with, you know, even in the schools, you know, where you're supposed to have those counselors that are, you know, saying, Hey, to the parents, this is what we've observed because of the, you know, because of the society they are in, they don't take note of those things. They see it as a problematic child instead of a child who has a problem, you know? So it's, 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 it, it, it requires society to want, you know, to to learn about um, how to how do how do how do how to better understand children, um, and how to 
treat whatever problems they might present and not necessarily see the child as a problem for having a problem. I'm thinking of teachers, just from what you and Dinequa are saying. I'm thinking of teachers, I'm thinking of homes with so little knowledge about mental health. What is the kind of training uh, that they need to have? Dinequa, Stephanie and Neo said that it's very clear that their mental health manifested even when they were small. Um, Stephanie says she started with bulimia when she was 12. And Neo speaks about her own experiences. I want to ask you, what kind of preparation and knowledge parents and uh, caregivers, like in a crash in a school, have? and understanding around mental health, because it seems as if we are missing so many people at a young age, because if they've got ADD, we are saying, hey, we're not stoned, you know, or whatever it is. What is needed? First, we need to not destigmatize mental health. That's why I was saying we go to this every year, every we check up, and this, but we don't check up on our, on our mental health. We need to accept that, but mental health is part of health. And um, we should not look down upon people. We don't look down upon anyone who's diabetic or has hypertension. So we should not. So we need to mobilize in our communities to begin to destigmatize mental health and to remind ourselves as communities and as families that people living with mental health are human beings as well. Uh, two, education. It is very important that when we see an action, like when we're talking with Stephanie about bulimia, that uh, most people may not know about bulimia nervosa, and how do you see it? For example, if you have a child who keeps going to the bathroom every time they eat or after eating, they go to the bathroom. You need to show interest as to what is happening in the bathroom. You keep seeing this child Back and for most time, they have swollen glands or so, they have sore throat and stuff. Those are indications that something may not be going right. Um, or the, all of a sudden, the child has a scratchy voice. We just need to educate ourselves that what am I seeing? Find out what's going on and ask other people and not feel ashamed. The problem with mental health is the shame. And I say that. Yeah. The reason people feel ashamed is because we don't know. If we knew better, we would do better. Because if someone talks to themselves, rather than us not asking someone what does this mean and feel like it will be embarrassing, we do so many embarrassing things. Mm. So asking for help and knowledge, it could help. You have a little child who likes playing with their feces and you don't talk about it. You don't take the child to the doctor because you think this child is embarrassing you. Something is not right. And no child wants, they have smelling abilities like anybody else. They don't want to be smelling funny things. That means this child is in trouble. I want us to move on a little bit because, you know, we could spend a lot of time. And, and I think this this conversation needs a, a lot more. And I want to come and, and start the period of COVID. 
And Ospalesa, you started us earlier on speaking about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. What is it? How does it manifest itself, especially during COVID? And I guess this is why I'm asking this question. Uh, Newo, Tiniko, and Stephanie have spoken about diagnosis formally that they've got. And I will also ask them how they are coping specifically during COVID. But the question I have for you is, could other people who may not have been diagnosed uh, present with a mental health problem now because of post-traumatic stress disorder? So that's my question to you. Define it. And how is it specifically linked to COVID? Maybe let me just give a brief history of trauma. Trauma has been a word that has evolved over time. During Freudian time, uh, he used to call it hysteria. He saw it, it's what now we know as postpartum depression in women. Uh, he called it hysteria. During the First and the Second World War, after that, then they noticed that the soldiers who had gone to war, especially the American soldiers, when they came back, they were showing symptoms that now we understand them as post-traumatic stress. And the reason I wanted to talk about trauma is because I think we're in the Third World War. It's just that their opponent is different this time. With COVID and us being in isolation and constantly worried what's going to happen, who's next? Right now, we're beginning to hear people that are very close to us that are either positive or they've passed on and things like that. We're beginning to show symptoms that we call hypervigilance. We're constantly anticipating something bad to happen. There are about 14 symptoms that are consistent with trauma or post-traumatic stress. I will not necessarily uh, go through all of them. But I want to highlight some of them in sense of COVID. One, if we look at gender-based violence, for example, a lot of women are sitting in situations, in abusive situations, whether emotionally, uh, physically, or psychologically. And most of those women, as I spoke about, anticipate hypervigilance. They're always anticipating at a certain time when somebody comes home that something's going to happen. Children also are not immune to that. Then we have children who start having aggressive controlling behaviors within the home. We're all stuck at home. Children are beginning to be fighting each other because now part of the situation is that the levels of anxiety are heightened. Um, and the levels, the, the, the levels of tolerance in terms of disagreements is very minimal. And also children are mimicking or modeling what they're seeing happening in the home. Um, another symptom that I want to talk about is blunted affect. Blunted affect is a fear of trusting or a fear of loving. Imagine with gender-based violence that the very person you love or trust is the very person who hurts you. So we post covered. We're going to have challenges with people now beginning to have problems laughing or trusting because those that they loved or trusted did them a disservice. Or you have you have children who start having problems with trust. And trust is developed at an age of zero to one, according to Erickson, those who subscribe to that theory. But it, it's when it's developed, but it's then nurtured. So you have a child who's experiencing this boxing ring at home all the time. And now before, at least the child would go next door and play there. Now there's no going to next door. What is that going to do to that child in years to come? We, we, We look also at the issue of substance abuse. 
Substance abuse also partly some people love the problems with alcohol. I'm not talking about those who drink alcohol to get the crack to hit people. I'm talking about those who are trying to love the problems. And what we don't know is that alcoholism is a hereditary disease, illness. I'm not saying problem drinkers, I'm talking about alcoholism. It's a hereditary illness. So if you are predisposed to alcoholism, now you're starting to binge, already you're in trouble. And you can't say I'm only drinking now because alcoholism doesn't mean that you, you drink every day, not necessarily. You can drink once a week or once a month and still be an alcoholic. That's a different subject altogether. But I'm bringing all these factors to say that post-COVID, we may have to deal with post-traumatic stress. And the reason it's called post-traumatic is because those symptoms show themselves after the fact. However, within the South African context of gender-based violence, the people who are victims of violence, they live with continuous traumatic stress, not let alone post-traumatic stress. That's not in a diagnostic manual, but the reality is that they are living with it continuously. So essentially, you are saying that you know, the home can be so dangerous for some people. And you've quoted, and, and I like that, especially violent homes, to a point where people could just experience for years, uh, I imagine, a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, fighting, not trusting. And I can imagine that not trusting one could even extend in relationships. You end up having people who don't even want to form meaningful friendships, meaningful intimate relationships. And, and, and I'm wondering, just as we wind uh, that up so that we discuss coping mechanisms, I'm wondering how does this affect, uh, not affect, but if you are a child and there is this trauma, how it affects you without being able to relate it to what happened to you as a child? How, how typical is that? Sometimes if it's not attended to, then it, it, it evolves into other illnesses. For example, the very issues of depression that we're talking about. Even the very eating disorders mm. that we're talking about, where uh, that children, some children may start having eating disorders as a way of coping. And then unfortunately from that way of coping, they mm. have a distortion of their image. Because then, whether eating disorders, like whether it's obesity, whether it's uh, anorexia, there's a distortion in how the child looks. So it may have emanated from those things that they were looking at, and then they found ways to cope by eating. Yeah. So the, 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 and, and, and it's linked so much with what Stephanie was saying around you know, something else happens and then develop yes. this um, uh, disorder. But in fact, it is a way of coping with something deeply emotional. And, and I think emotions are not necessarily seen. You know, you could be laughing and socializing yeah. with people, but you are very anxious, you are very worried, you know, and people cannot yes. see. You drink a lot, you the life of the party, yeah. but you are depressed. And I think when we spoke about suicide, yes. the same thing can be said, yes. you know, about people who, who do that. Can we actually on the, yeah, I'm glad that Neo uh, and Dinuko spoke about suicide uh, because the most challenging issue with depression is suicide and uh, homicide. Uh, a lot of femicide that we're seeing, it's based on 
some of the people without dealing with their own depression, then they're displacing. But I don't want to go to the perpetrator because now it will be like I'm talking pro perpetrator. Let me come back to the, the, the people who are struggling with challenges. Depression at this point, clinically, we've seen a high rise of people who are struggling because of isolation with depression. Okay, I, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned it. Guys, I want to get into coping. Um, what are the tips? How are you supporting yourselves during COVID? Now, let me start with you because you had already mentioned um, how safe space is a space and a community for you to um, support yourself. Yeah, I think my greatest uh, victory in, 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 in coping is knowing my triggers that I have mastered. And for example, I know that social media triggers me a lot. The moment I start feeling otherwise, so to speak, I get off every social media. I mean, even when you go onto my page, I will announce throughout COVID, I've been announcing from time to time, guys, I'm off social media. If you need assistance, contact whoever, there's contact pages, uh, contact uh, numbers on my page. So identification of my triggers has been quite important and I have been able to cope. Okay, great. I, I, I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned that. It's listening to yourself and removing yourself uh, from circumstances that will make your condition worse. And you've shared too. Tenyeko, what about you? How are you coping during this COVID? Um, I've definitely gotten off social media now. I, I go there every now and again. I think a lot of people will notice I'm barely active, um, especially on Twitter. Mm. Um, because like Noah said, it's, it's very triggering. Um, and I don't even think it's just on a general specific issues. Um, ever since COVID, I've just noticed that you have 95% bad news and 5% good news. So that's definitely not a healthy yeah. environment for anyone. Um, yes. yeah, so it's really not a healthy environment for anyone. So I don't think, I don't think anyone should really um, stay on or, you know, continue posting things that aren't necessarily po positive, you know, at least have your page be 60% positive, you know, um, it, it, despite what is happening around the world, you know, you, you still need those, you know, those good news, those, those smile moments, you know, people used to randomly post pictures of babies. They don't do that as much as they did anymore, you know? Um, so I've stayed off of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've, I've tried to get into a routine, um, a daily routine of how I do, of how I do things. Um, and if I feel that I, you know, like when you're going to the shops to buy something, if I feel that I'm going to a space uh, and when I enter the space, I feel like, okay, people aren't necessarily taking the precautions seriously that they should be taking. I immediately walk out, mm. you know, I walk out. Um, I first try, mm. um, so for instance, there was, there was an incident where I went to the ATM that was inside the mall. Um, and then I still waited in line. And then the security guard said, why are you waiting? There's an ATM there. And I said, but there's, there are no screens in between these ATMs and there's only three ATMs. The middle one is empty. So mm. I'm waiting for one more person to move. What did he do? He told the next mm. person behind me to get, to go into that middle ATM. And essentially for about four more people continued doing the same thing. And I was like, you know what? 
this is not the environment yeah. that I want to be in. It doesn't seem like they're taking this thing of precaution seriously. So I left and I went and used a different um, ATM at a different place. And to at least that was comforting to me, you know, despite what they may think that I'm overreacting or what, you know. So it's about that, like, just making sure that you keep in a in a positive space. And um, I'm, I'm really glad that they finally opened parks. I was really going crazy not understanding why mm. commerce is opened but we can't go to um nature reserves um like the municipal municipal parks and take hikes and things like that um but yet you know your table mountain or your Kruger national park is open it was really it was really weird and frustrating for me so you know i'm glad now we can actually you know go out and be in nature um you know, because that's a, it's a form of exercise, but also it's a form of like coming out of the space and coming away from yeah. the anxiety. Because if anything, Corona is anxiety inducing, you know, um, like you say, mm. every day you're hearing news about like it's getting closer and closer to you. So it's nice to go away, you know, to go to a different space, because even the people who tell you it's getting closer and closer to you, 5% of them are going to tell you that, you know what, actually... Um, yes, it's closer, but you know what? Most of the people are kind of curable, asymptomatic or anything like, no, they're just going to give you these numbers as if everyone who's been recorded in the numbers is going to die. So I've yeah. also stopped looking at those numbers completely. Um, yeah, I don't pay attention to them. Yeah. Also, if I can just add something quite interesting, I normally sell, I don't know who's familiar with it. It's called Mohodu Monday. In the townships, every Monday is a tradition. We eat mukhodu. And I did that exceptionally well. I made lots of money, but I get so triggered and I get so in a, in a tiff, you know, when I go and buy the supplies from mukhodu. And I decided to stop that as well. So that is part of taking care of myself. It's self-care and looking after my mental wellness because not everybody cares out there. There's people I live in Soweto in Soweto, who still say COVID-19 doesn't exist. So I said, for my own mental health, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I just said, stop. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable what, what you are talking about. And, and, and I want to come back in another episode about mental health and social media. You both mentioned it, but I also think that there's other, for everything that each one of you here have mentioned, there's another episode that yeah. we could do, really, just dedicating uh, space to that time. And, and and I'm sorry that, you know, even with the extra time we are doing this episode, we are almost scratching the surface. And Stephanie, how are you supporting yourself? Because we are doing maguinha, we are doing <laughs> all sorts of recipes we are eating. I mean, my disorder right now is just... And, and I liked what you said, Stephanie, because I'm also eating my emotions. Um, unless I am consciously aware that that is what I'm doing. And I notice that some days are not easier than others. But uh, how are you coping? And what is your coping mechanism during COVID? Yeah, it has certainly been a challenge, um, especially because it, it just seemed like everything started focusing around food and people cooking and baking at home and um, I normally try to sort of move away from from food as something to 
to comfort me or, or in, in my case, food is a bit of self-punishment. Um, so that was certainly challenging, especially the hard lockdown. Um, for me, a coping me- mechanism normally is is doing exercise. So with gym shutting down and not being able to go outside, that was extremely challenging. Um, also, my grandmother passed away during the hard lockdown, which was a very strange situation because she's in, it was in Namibia. I'm in Cape Town. My brother and my parents were both in separate households in Johannesburg. And so we had to zoom in for the wake. So it's been very strange to say the least. Um, But yeah, a a big thing, as was mentioned before, is knowing your triggers, um, identifying. and, And I'm not that great at it. I have to admit, I still struggle to really identify my triggers. But a big part of it is communicating. And especially when you're living with other people is communicating with your parents, your sisters, your your partner what's going on, what you're going through um, before things explode. Um, I I live with my partner. We live in a a one-bedroom apartment, so it's difficult because we share really tight space. And so sometimes it means sort of getting out of each other's space and and just just being separate to to clear my head. I mean, I I go for walks. It's the same as Tiny. I I go for walks. That that helps me clear my head and process thoughts. And, And I also go through the process of, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? Where is it coming from? To really identify what the core emotions are that I'm feeling and then to work with that rather than just doing something, acting out or, or indulging um, in sort of just a coping mechanism. I, I, I try to really identify what the feelings are and where they come from and then to to try to resolve that because communicating and even communicating with myself and, and verbalizing what those emotions are, I find to be quite helpful. Thank you so much. I, I'm, my condolences to you. I can imagine, you know, what it felt like, you know, uh, the hard lockdown was so hard, <laughs> as the name suggests, to lose somebody early on and just not be able to be there with people you love. Um and 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 and, and oh my goodness, when you said gyms and exercise. I'm only getting back into gym because I understand what gym does for me. I understand what just being out there and exercising. That's where I think. That's where I calm myself down. That's where I put myself together, you know, and uh, not being able to do that. um, And uh, has been very difficult because it's also changing coping mechanisms. And I'm very glad all of you have spoken about how you are, you know, uh, adopt, adapting and changing things and, and moving away and putting yourself first. Even if, uh, as uh, a Tiny said, it's about being at an ATM and saying, I'm not going to withdraw the money here. I'm not going to be forced to do this when I know it's going to trigger me. One important aspect of dealing with mental health is adhering to the treatment regimen that your psychiatrist may give you. Um, how important is that now? It is exceptionally important. It is extremely important. From my own personal experience, I had been defaulting on my treatment because, you know, taking medication, again, it's got to do with the stigma. You know, you are saying to yourself, for me to be normal, uh, I need to pop a pill. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? But you forget that a person with HIV, with diabetes, with high blood pressure does the very same thing. So I kept start stopping medication. But what I didn't realize is that I am actually damaging my brain even more because it is the most uh, sensitive part of your being. So when you start stop, you are confusing your brain. And it, it is it is absolutely important. And I've been strict on my treatment for like three years now. And that's, that, that's what's making you well. One other thing that I was assuming as I was taking my treatment and start stopping it was that when I am well, I am good enough to go off my medication. But it is actually the medication that's making me well. So I cannot stop the medication. So it is extremely important to stick to your treatment regime, but also not just to pop your pills. It is your responsibility as a person living with a mental health issue to know what you are drinking so that you know, uh, you, you listen to your body. If you're not sleeping well, if you are, if there's any side effects, if there's something offish, then you know. And how will you know that? When you see your psychiatrist, you need to ask questions. I get so many people on Safe Space Inc. They go to their psychiatrist, they come back and they give me a snapshot of their pills and they say, what are these pills for? And I tell them, but I'm not a psychiatrist. You are sitting in front of the doctor. You should have asked. It is your right as a patient. It is the doctor's responsibility to let you know what you are drinking. So it is to drink your medication all the time, but also to know what your medication is. Tinyeko, are you starting with your treatment and how is that uh, uh, important to you? Um, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm sticking with it. Um, I don't mm. necessarily get treatment for my anxiety. Um, so I have to find other ways to cope with that if it does flare up and mm. become extra. Um, or ask my or, or advise uh, my my psychiatrist that you know mm. my anxiety is a little bit extra. Uh, it's crippling at this moment, so I'm gonna need something for that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, um, like Dr. Palissa said, you need to always know what it is that you're putting in your mouth and why you're putting it in your mouth. Um, so we've spoken about like um, you know eating disorders and um, how society you know has put um, a certain standard image you know in the minds of everyone. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like one of those few weight conscious people. Mm. Um, so it was something that, that I had to mention to my doctor before I could even get any treatment that, yes, I am weight conscious. So you can't give me anything that's going to make me gain weight because then that's going to affect my, my moods negatively. Um, because then I'll feel, you know, I, I won't, I won't particularly feel good about myself. Um, you know, I have to disclose uh, my physical health conditions, you know, so that I don't get medicine that um, interacts with, with, yeah. with, with those negatively. Um, so yeah, it's, it's important to have discussions with, with your doctors about, you know, not necessarily just like your goals out of seeing them and, and your treatment and, and, and getting the treatment, but you know, who exactly you are and what what can and cannot work for you because if they give you something um thinking that okay because you know this is a medicine that does work um and you haven't disclosed to them um let's say that you know you, you don't only just have suicidal ideation you've actually attempted to commit suicide a couple of times 
then they might give you, you know, um, an antidepressant that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. treat your depression, but, um, you know, gives you the energy to, to now then go ahead and attempt committing suicide again. But if you were open with them, they would have known that, okay, no, this is something that I need to, to stick away from and not give this particular patient um, because of, you know, their history and how they, they process things. Yeah. Okay. All right. So knowing your meds, anything you want to add, Steph, just as we conclude? Yeah, I was also initially opposed to actually taking medication. I think that's a big one also is that there is a stigma for taking medication in general. Um, and ultimately, I think you just need to sort of think about, you know, what what leads you better off. Um, I've had insomnia all my life. So when I went to, to rehab, it was the first time I was prescribed sleeping tablets. And it was sort of the first time I was actually sleeping properly through the night, which is something that I feel like has benefited me greatly since. But yeah, it's certainly something that you, you have to stay in close communication with your mental health practitioner with, um, because it also changes over time. So something that you might have taken a year or two ago might not work anymore. Um, and sort of reading up on it and sort of to, to, to find even studies on it, um, how it works, what works about it, because some of the, the medication also, they aren't necessarily studies for it. Um, I took a, a medication for anxiety. OCD is often also linked to, to eating disorders, and they don't actually know why the medication works or if it actually works. So they, they advise you of that and then you, you take it and sort of see if you feel that there is benefit or not. So it is something that I think you have to be very involved with as the person taking the medication. You certainly can't just take something blindly. You, you have to be really involved with that and, and communicate about that and see if it's something that's benefiting you. And if not, then try to find something else and, and communicate that with your healthcare professional. Thank you so much, guys. I, I, I mean, wow, there is so much of a wealth of information uh, between uh, all of you. And, and, and you were right, Uspalisa. Uh, and I think that is what uh, both uh, Neo, I mean, Deniko and, and, and Stephanie are saying about how involved you must be in even knowing what treatment you are taking. But being very open, you can't get to the doctor or to your psychiatrist and not be open, as Deniko said, about, you know, what other medications you are taking, how is your medication making you feel, et cetera, et cetera. Guys, I wish we had more time. I wish South Africans had a lot more data uh, so that we could just speak. I could speak to all of you for the whole evening, simply because this topic is often neglected. And as I said, we have scratched the surface. I do promise that I would like us to have a uh, 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 follow-up episode around mental health and social media. And uh, I am sure there is also mental health and parenting. We could do just a series of episodes on mental health. But thank you, each and every one of you, for just your generosity. Newo, uh, Tiniko, uh, Stephanie, you are my heroes in coming out, particularly on something that is stigmatized as mental health. And basically speaking and, uh, you know, saying this is what we are going through. This is what we are coping with. But also, um, and and Neo, and it may sound biased, but I really mean it. um, The fact that you decided that you are going to turn, you know, something that really you battled with for many years 
into, you know, your own passion and purpose and how now it is being a safe space, not only for others, but for you. Thank you so much, everyone, and enjoy your evening. As I say, I promise that we we'll get back and specifically speak about mental health and social media because we are all on social media. Children are on social media. And I'm wondering how many people with or with, with diagnosed and others not diagnosed mental uh, 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 health conditions um, you know, are, are you know, uh, on social media and not realizing its effects. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye, Thank you for having me. Bye, Lebu. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast or you have a legal or finance matter that you would like some advice or assistance on, you can reach us via WhatsApp only or a voice note on 061-535-4623 or via email on zangazulugel at gmail.com. We will try to share information with you and where possible, Dinyeko, who is a legal expert, will give you some advice on how to deal with your matter. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter using the handle at what's love underscore podcast. And you can also find us on Facebook on what's love podcast. Please note that the views expressed in this podcast do not represent the views of the Soul City Institute for Social Justice.